If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Matthew. You'll find it in the very uh, front of your New Testaments. And while you're doing that, I would share with you a story. Let me welcome you or wish you a Merry Christmas as we launch this season. Christmas is always an interesting time of year, and it reminds me of a story of a grandmother that had always done a great job of buying the perfect gift for everyone. Well, as she grew a little bit older and as the grandkids grew more and more, she, she felt like she couldn't always make that perfect choice and becoming more and more kids to buy for, and they were getting older. And so, so one Christmas she said, she's going to send checks to each grandchild and to each family member and encourage them uh, to select what they want. And so her, with her plan in place, and she couldn't be there this particular Christmas, and so she sent all the cars to all of her family, and what she didn't realize is that she had forgotten to actually include the checks. She'd written them all out, but she left them. So you can imagine the family's concern, or at least um, shock, when they opened their Christmas cards from Grandma and that said, buy your own presents. I share that because as we come into the Christmas season, we have to realize that Christmas is often not what we expect. We want one thing, but we end up with another. And in fact, sometimes and oftentimes Christmas gets messy, doesn't it? And I don't know that if Christmas necessarily makes life more messy or Christmas causes us to focus on the mess of life, but maybe you can reflect, you can relate to this guy right here. And we have, I'm fine, this is fine, everything's fine. Just trying to keep up in this season. There's something about Christmas, though, that We picture everything being perfect, don't we? And yet, as we roll into the season, we realize how messy it can get. I'm reminded of the quote by the great theologian Linus from Peanuts when he talks to Charlie Brown. You're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turns it into a problem. And that's often what happens at Christmas time, isn't it? We end up with these problems. And, and Christmas has a way of magnifying the struggles that we already have in life, don't we? Because perhaps if life is already a mess for you, then when you get to Christmas time, it just seems like it ramps up the mess. When everybody else is singing nice Christmas carols, you're frustrated. When everybody else seems to be having, being full of seasonal joy you're wrestling with depression. And maybe it's because at some point you know you're going to have family together and there's tension there already. Or maybe it's because you're estranged from your child. Maybe it's the first Christmas that you're coming up on and there's going to be an empty seat at the table. Maybe it's been a hard year economically and... It's not like Christmas past where you can sit and enjoy it because all that's going on in your mind right now is you're counting the dollars or the lack of dollars. 
Maybe you've been wrestling with something for a really, really long time. And you just come into this season and you know you should put on a smiley face, but you're just not there because life is just a mess. And what I want to show you today and through this series that we're called Untangling Christmas, and that's why we've got our half-decorated tree up here and this mess. Does this look like anybody's lights at your house? How is it that you can put the lights up one year nice and neatly into their boxes and their bins and put them in the attic and miraculously you end up with that next year? Are they alive? What's going on? But we have this mess and we so desperately want to untangle it each and every year and we need to come to understand that Christmas and life is a mess. And so if you're in the middle of a mess, I'm glad you're here. If you're in the middle of a mess, Christmas is for you, but perhaps not in the way that you think it is. Because I want to show you my theme verse, my thesis verse for this entire series. And it shows up in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. This is not going to be a surprise. You've already heard it alluded to t- today. This, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And the author, Matthew, lets us know what that means, which means God with us. Now, I don't want that to go past you too quickly as just something we say at this season. It's easy for things to become very familiar to us to lose their bite with us, to lose their teeth, to lose some of its meaning with us. Matthew is saying that a long time ago, God gave the prophecy that he's going to send his son, and when he arrives, he's going to bear the title, Emmanuel, God with us. God came in the physical form of Jesus to be with us. God in our midst. At this season, I've heard churches want to fight over whether it was on December 25th or not. I don't know the date of when Christ was born. But what I know is the reality is that Christ was born. And that Christ came into the world. And he did not come into the world with it all neat and clean. See, oftentimes we look at the nativity where you've got the wise men and the shepherds and the baby Jesus in the middle and Mary and Joseph and there's an angel above. And there's not a nativity out there that has smell to it, right? If it is, it's like Christmas pine smell. It's not barn smell. Christmas is messy, and we're going to walk through Matthew's nativity, his story of Christmas, and I'm going to tell you, it's a messy story. We get all of our pretty pictures from Luke, but from Matthew, he's got a gritty, messy picture, and because Matthew has, and here's what is the, the theme of this whole series is going to be, The miracle of Christmas is that Jesus joins us, God with us, but not at our best, 
but in our mess. That's the message of Christmas. God joins us not when we have our act together, not when you've been to church a certain number of times, not when you've got all of your theology lined up, not when your family is now perfect, not when you're at the right place in your career, not when you've achieved all the success that you want, not when you can hold your head up high and say, I have done it all on my own. No, no, no. Jesus joins us in the very middle of our mess and if your life is in a mess right now, this is for you. That's the message. That's the miracle of Christmas. And so Matthew starts in a very just messy place. He starts with family. He's going to go and unpack the family of Jesus. And family just gets so messy at times, doesn't it? We have this ideal that we want it to be so perfect. We want our family to just look a certain way and to present a certain face. And then we get on social media and we see everybody else's family. And their family looks better than our family. Their family smells better than our family. I mean, it's just crazy what you can see. But we have messy families, don't we? So if you've heard me preach a Christmas series before, you know the one thing I love is awkward family Christmas photos. So I've rounded up this year's edition of awkward Christmas photos just to get us in the spirit. Here's, here's one. How many people have a photo like this trying to get that perfect Christmas picture? What I love is Santa's fed up too. Santa looks like he may be drinking something on the side, I think. Okay, this, this next one's great. This one's from the 90s. And I want to defend it because I know what they were going for. 90s, we like splatter paint a lot. This looks like Bloody Merry Christmas going on. I threw this next one in just for fun because I really like this. This is an attempted card. I, I, okay, cat people, they're not helping you any. If you can't read it, the bottom of the card says, We wish you a meowy Christmas and a cat nappy New Year. They don't understand that there won't be cats in heaven. So, okay, before I get a bunch of emails about that last comment, I threw this one in just because this kid's fun. He just makes you happy no matter what. I'm going to make him my home screen on my phone. But we've all seen and we've all tried for this last one, haven't we? We go for the perfect. We go for the picturesque. But we end up with reality and reality is a mess. And so if you would, Matthew chapter 1 says this. Matthew's about to give us a genealogy, a family tree of Jesus. And what you need to know as Matthew gives these names, if you were to be one of the original hearers of this, you would have understood a lot more than what we understand. You would have caught a lot of the Easter eggs that are buried in this. Because Matthew is about to give us a very messy 
family tree. And he's not going to hide anything. He's, he's not going to shy away from anything. I'm reminded of a great quote by W.C. Fields. One time he was asked about, about how, does he know anything about electricity? He says, oh yeah, I know lots about electricity because my dad occupied the, the chair of applied electricity at a state institution. <laughs> Some of you figured out, that out later. But he tried to put it in the best light. He, he tried to put a spin on it. Matthew, as we read this, if, if we had been a good group of Jewish people going to synagogue and hearing this for the first time, we would have become very uncomfortable as he read through this. Because one thing he does is he includes women in the genealogy. Now that may not seem striking to us, but in that culture, women were not included in the genealogy. You got your bloodline from father to father to father. And that's how you did it. But Matthew includes this, and let's just read through this, and then we'll talk about it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon. Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, some of you are worried because you're afraid I'm going to read the whole thing. It's almost tedious, isn't it? Let me jump to the last one. Verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Now, you can read all the way through it, and every one of those names has meaning to it. Every one of those names has a story behind it. And Matthew is not hiding any of the mess from the world. He's not trying to clean up Jesus' genealogy. He's saying Jesus comes from a messy family. You think you've got a messy family? Let's look at Jesus. And I want to focus in on the women that he chooses to include in the genealogy because he chooses them for a very particular reason. And they say something about Jesus and they say something about this miracle about Jesus showing up in the middle of our mess Yours and mine. So we'll just work through this. I want you to highlight these as we go. Verse 3. It says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And he's got this phrase. Every time you see whose mother was, he gives one of the ladies that are in the genealogy. And we have Tamar. And Tamar, if you don't know, is in Genesis chapter 38. And that is probably not a chapter of the Bible you've heard lots of sermons on. Okay? Tamar is not, that, that's not a rated G chapter. That's not a rated PG chapter. That's not even a rated PG 13 chapter. Now, everybody's Bible reading is going to go up this week, I know. <laughs> After a teaser like that, you'll be, what's chapter Genesis 38 say? Here's what you need Tamar had a father in law because she had married 
two of his sons. One passed away, then she married the next, and she passed away, then he passed away. So she was a widow, twice widowed, and she was without child. And in that environment, to be a childless widow was one of the most vulnerable places you could be in life. So Tamar comes up with a plan, and she dresses like a prostitute, acts like a prostitute, and presents herself to her father-in-law as a prostitute. And this is how Tamar seduces him. This is in the genealogy of Jesus. This story is. And if you had been one of the original hearers of this, or readers of this genealogy, you would have known this story. And you would have squirmed like you may be squirming right now. This would have made you very uncomfortable. This would have been the thing, shh, we don't talk about that. We don't mention that. Anybody have stories that you are well aware of, but your family just does not talk about anymore? This is one of those. And yet, Matthew does not try to hold back. He says, here's a part of Jesus' past. The very next one, verse 5. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Okay, Rahab comes up in the book of Joshua. Rahab is also not from Israel, not of the people of God. She lives in a city that maybe you've heard of called Jericho. And Jericho sits in the promised land where the the Hebrews were coming into the land. And once they got to the land, they had to start fighting some battles to take the land. God had promised them the land, but he had not yet given them the land. They had to go into faithful work to take the land. And so the first thing they come up on is Jericho. And Jericho was known for its mighty walls. And so they're going to do a reconnaissance on that. They send some spies into Jericho to mingle amongst the, the crowd, figure out where the weak points are, can the city be taken. And they're about to get spotted. And so they hide out in a seedy part of town, and they hide out with Rahab. Now, um, Tamar acted like, act like a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. This is Jesus' genealogy. This is not exactly what you want to brag about. But with this connection, Rahab hides the spies. She protects the spies. She allows them to, be, to escape the city. And she simply asks, when you attack, would the Lord remember my family? And the Lord does. And she's faithful. And apparently she then marries into the people of God. And becomes an heir to the promise. And she has a son named Boaz. Well, Boaz is going to take a wife. And that's where we get our next one in the same verse. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Ruth, what you need to know about Ruth is that she was a Moabite. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but that meant she was not of the people of God, and she was from a race of people that had a despicable history that came from a slanderous kind of origin. And so she's way outside the people of God, and yet through her faithfulness and being true to where God was leading her, 
She comes in and lives among the people of God and then becomes married to Boaz. And it's her faithfulness that gets highlighted again and again in Scripture. But again, she's way on the outside. She's not a candidate. She's not one that you would bring home to mom and say, Look, mom, this is, my, this is the one I've chosen. It would have been an awkward conversation. And yet here she is, right in the middle of the genealogy of Jesus. And it goes on. Verse 6. And Jesse, the father of King David. Now we're getting somewhere where we're headed. Now look at this one. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been, and you don't get a name there, do you? Whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That person is Bathsheba. If you're familiar with the story, David's the king. He's on his balcony one day. He looks out. He sees a beautiful woman bathing. He falls in lust with her. And when you're the king, you have certain powers. And so he summons her and he enters into an illicit affair that results in her pregnancy. So now he's got to cover up the affair. And so he works a scheme that ends up having a commander in his army killed Uriah, a faithful man. Now, this is a political scandal the likes of which we don't see. I mean, this is, this is serious stuff. And notice how Matthew does not dodge. Thing. In fact, so instead of, saying, instead of saying Bathsheba, he lays out who she was. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Matthew writes the adulterous affair right into the genealogy. You remember great-grandma? She was a looker. That's what Matthew's doing. This is messy stuff. Then he ends with this one. And Jacob, verse 16... And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who's called the Messiah. We'll talk more about Mary later, but we realize when we call her the virgin, Mary was an unwed teen, pregnant teen. And in fact, next week we're going to talk about Joseph and how he had to deal with that. Because that's not easy to deal with. Mary didn't see that coming. Mary, Mary didn't think this is how her life was going to turn out. And yet God steps in, into this mess. And says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to conceive a child. And that child's name will be Emmanuel, God with us. Now... That's the part that Matthew says, but Matthew might as well say, because of all this lead-in and all that he's going to have after this, Matthew's message is God with us in our mess. So I'm going to share with you just three takeaways for us that I think we can gain from reading this genealogy that I want you to reflect on and encourage you this week in the middle of your mess. 
And the first one is this. God uses real people, not ideal people. I think too often we fall into the temptation of thinking, God's going to use somebody that's a spiritual giant, that's got it all together. I'm a mess. He's not using me. Again and again and again in Scripture, God uses real people living out real lives with dirt under their fingernails and skeletons in the closet. God uses real people, and He will use you. He shows up in the middle of your mess, not the mess of the spiritually elite, but your mess. God uses the real, not the ideal. Second takeaway is this. God uses all kinds of messy stuff to do miraculous things. Did you see in each of these stories? Each of these stories are messy and they're awkward and nobody would have planned them. Nobody would have wanted them. And yet it's through that that God's going to do his greatest miracle of stepping into history, stepping into the world, walking on the planet, coming in the person of Jesus. He's going to have this incarnation, this God in flesh. And in the middle of that mess, he's doing the miraculous. And if you want messy and miraculous together, when you go from Christmas to Easter, Jesus experiences the crucifixion, which was one of the most brutal forms of execution known ever. And it was shameful and disgusting. And he's put into a tomb. And when it all looks dark, the miraculous happens. And he walks out. Christmas to Easter. This is the message that God uses again and again. The mess to do the miraculous. And the last thing is we look at this family of Jesus that's just all over the map, isn't it? You think you've got embarrassing parts of your family? If you don't, you might be the embarrassing part of your family. I don't know. (laughs) But when we think about the family of Jesus, what this tells us is that Jesus' present family, the body of believers, the church, is made up of. It's made up of people We would not choose. We wouldn't have chosen this list that Matthew gives us. I mean, people we would not choose with experiences we wouldn't want, with events that we facing events we didn't plan. That's what this list is. That's what this list is, and that's what the church is. It's from, we wouldn't choose everybody to be a part of this church. But Jesus did. We've got people here with some messy experiences. 
that I wouldn't want to experience. But Jesus still steps in. And some people even right now may be facing some events that they didn't plan for. And it's difficult. And it's a struggle. And it brings on all kinds of anxiety. And you're wrestling with it. And it's just messy. Welcome to the people of God. Because that makes you the perfect candidate. The miracle of Christmas is not that Jesus joins us at our best, but that he joins us in our mess. He joins you in your mess. May this be the Christmas season that you experience not the perfect Christmas, but the perfect Savior that comes into your broken Christmas. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, this list of names, these stories that are so tempting to walk past, may we dwell on them just for a moment as we realize that messy people have always been your forte. They've always been what you've majored in. So, Father, as we each have our own mess right now, some of it happens because of us, and some of it's happening around us. Father, would you let each person, whether they're in this room or they're online watching this message, would you be with them in the middle of the mess? Father, I'm going to ask that this week, over the next seven days, that you would show up in a tangible way. Maybe it comes in the face of a conversation. Maybe it comes through a text message. Maybe it comes through a song on the radio, a conversation, a quiet morning, something that shows up in the mail. Father, however it is, would you show up in a way and we say, there you are, right in the middle. Even when we're not at our best. Father, I'm so grateful for the one that came. For Jesus that stepped into a messy Christmas and did the miraculous. May that be what we experience this year and may all glory Go to him. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If there's anything that we can do to pray for you, if you've got a mess that you want to talk about, you can come down and talk to me or one of the ministers in front. You can also send us a text message, and I'm going to give you my Christmas present for this season. If you're in a mess right now, and you want somebody to be praying about that, if you'll use this text message, I'll get that message. And I will commit to praying for you. I'll commit to praying about it. Uh, you don't even have to call me or talk to me if you don't want to. That's fine. If you just want to know that somebody's out there. But I will make that promise to commit that it's my gift, my present. I would love to do that. And if you would allow me to honor that, um, I'd be so trusted with that. So together, would you stand as we worship, please?